0: And as a person, as enough of a person, I can go for a run and it's okay. And I came back into racing with an expectation of no expectation. And for me, I I said, well, it, I don't care what other people think. Like if I come 100th or first, I don't care. This is Running For Real, the podcast for runners who know that for every runner's high, there are just as many lows. All those just missed PRs, easy runs that feel hard, injury blues, and more. Each week, we'll talk to running,
1: health, and wellness experts about their highs, lows, and best advice to build our confidence. Running For Real is about being honest, being brave, and most of all, not feeling alone. And now here's our host, Tina Muir. Hello, my friends. Welcome to episode 182 of the Running For Real podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you being here. Um, I'm excited to bring you my guest. She's definitely someone who is well-known within the trail and ultra community. And we have a lot to share. This episode goes so much further than just, you know, the things that she's been able to accomplish as a runner. But also, I was really interested to hear about how being in that first wave of kind of quote-unquote professional trail athletes, how her life was affected when uh, sponsors and media and, you know social media really affected that her and some of the others around runners around her because of the pressures that it put on and the, the joy that it robbed from um, the, the activity that she was doing because she loved it. So I think this is a really interesting conversation. We do also talk about her transition to motherhood. But I think you're really going to enjoy Anna if you haven't already heard from her. She is a, just a wonderful person and uh, I think this episode is going is to say a lot. So if you're a first-time listener, welcome. I'm happy to have you and I hope we can connect on some other places. If you are a loyal listener, welcome back. And my friends, we're just going to take a moment to thank our sponsors and we'll be right to the episode. Friends, I have a very, very exciting announcement for you today. I have a brand new sponsor to introduce you to, but not only that, this sponsor has decided to partner with me for the rest of the year. Now, by now, you know me, and hopefully you know that for me to commit to working with a brand, I have to believe in them. And I have to feel good about not only their products, but their heart. And I know that sounds silly, the heart of a brand, but it's true. I want to see a culture I can believe in, a mission that means something. And who is Tracksmith, you ask? Well, Tracksmith is a Boston-based brand that is led by a group of runners who are committed to making classically stylish, cutting-edge apparel. Their goal is simple. Craft the most considered product on the market for runners, dedicated to the personal pursuit of excellence. And no... That does not just mean elites, sub-elites, or even those you may consider elites in your mind, like those who crush their Boston qualifier races or the place at your local races. This is for everyone, all of us. And Tracksmith calls these athletes amateurs in the most traditional sense of the term. The word amateur comes from the Latin word for lover, and we're all amateurs in that sense. This love reveals itself in special ways, in early morning sessions squeezed in before work, in the weekends structured around long runs, and in future vacations planned for goal races. Hello, Disney World. (laughs) It is a demanding lifestyle and one that requires gear that can handle the commitment. For me, gear that can handle lots of tough treatment, like being stuffed in a bag for a few hours immediately after runs, or those runs that are really long weekend after weekend, that's important. I used to be an H&M girl until I realized I was purchasing new products every few months because the quality was so bad. And I'm not talking about running products, obviously. I'm talking about just general casual stuff. As runners, we need clothes that can last, whether that's a breathable long sleeve shirt that can be reworn without washing after several runs or the perfect shorts for your long run, With room for your keys, phone, and fuel, tracksmith designers sweat the details. That also means they work with the finest materials, from merino wool in their training tops to a unique nylon knit sourced from the best Italian mills for their running shorts. And all their garments feature details that let you focus on the things that matter. During these chilly mornings we are cherishing before the humidity and heat starts to catch up with us, I am absolutely loving the Harrier long sleeve. It keeps you warm when the run starts brisk and it cools you down as things heat up. It's moisture-wicking, it dries in a flash, and best of all, it resists odors even if you wear yours around the clock. Or am I the only one who finds a few things you really need to get done before you jump in the shower post run? To welcome listeners to the podcast, Tracksmith is offering 15% off your first purchase. To learn more, visit tracksmith.com forward slash Tina Muir and enter code Tina. That's tracksmith.com forward slash Tina Muir. Enter code Tina, dot com forward slash Tina Muir, T-I-N-A-M-U-I-R. Anna, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today on the Running Field Podcast. I am really excited to talk to you. Um, I have to thank um, our mutual friend, Hilary, um, for introducing you to me because I've really you know, been following you for a long time and have been interested in having you on. So thank you for your time. I appreciate you. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no, this is going to be fun. And even through you just saying that, I think people would have picked up a The accent is not American. Um, So, you know, uh, being born in New Zealand, living in Papua New Guinea till five, back to New Zealand, you're obviously raised a little bit different to some, uh, to probably most of my listeners here. But um, Mm -hmm. I would love for you to kind of start with your kind of childhood when it comes to the way that your parents raised you. People are going to see as I interview further and further that this is it will make sense why I'm asking this, but mm-hmm. your parents kind of instilled in you very early on to kind of explore the world and have adventures. And it's not just because you're from New Zealand, obviously that makes it a little easier with where you live or where you used to live. But tell us about that, like growing up in New Zealand and, and just what your parents kind of taught you to, yeah, see how they sought you to see the world.
0: Right. Yeah. I think, um, as I was growing up, that was just normal. That was just what you did, you just went in the outdoors and explored and went hiking and we had a little bus that we lived in and we'd take that little bus and, um, go to the mountains and go out fishing and, and tramping as they call it in New Zealand, which is same thing as hiking or trekking. And that was just normal. Living in the outdoors was a place where we would just go for our entertainment. You know, it wasn't, there was no TV time. Mm-hmm it was mountain time or river time. So like I say, it was normal for me. And, um, on top of that was the travel. So, um, my dad's originally from the UK. So we would often go to the UK to visit, um, that side of the family. Um, and again, so that I guess became very normal for me to travel, meeting different cultures, living in different cultures. And then like you said, we grew up in Papua New Guinea. So we were there from, I think age one to about five, And, again, that was just normal. It was normal to be around different people, different colored skin, different languages, um, different ways of living, different eating. And I really do um, feel very lucky for that and very grateful for that. And it's definitely instilled in me that home is definitely where your heart is or home is where your memories are. It doesn't have to be the four walls that you live in. So that's always made traveling um, very accessible for me, you know, leaving the comforts of of home um, because I know that you know my husband will be there, or now my daughter will be there, or my mum and dad were there, and I yeah. For me, being able to travel and meet these different cultures is, is a huge passion of mine. It's something that I love to explore and I love to do even more than running.
1: Mm-hmm. I love that so much, and as a as a fellow traveling fan I am also into that and um for someone listening who maybe you know as I said a lot of my listeners are American and um not as many Americans will leave the country quite as willing as you or I might but um you know how can someone instill or even be able to afford it how can someone instill that um in their own life or in their children's lives um you know just from you mentioned about going out in a bus or like that would be, you know, a, um, mm-hmm. a complete motorhome, I guess it would be yeah. kind of uh, RV. over here. Uh, yes. An yeah. RV, that's it. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, things like that, like why, why is that important? And, and how can people do it? You know, if they don't have the opportunity to, to kind of travel the world and, and right. see actual d- uh, differences in
0: cultures across the world. Well, I mean, I think firstly, America has a huge diversity Mm -hmm. in culture. You know, you can travel 30 minutes or an hour um, and you can meet a completely different culture. You know, where we live in Durango, there's Moab just over there and there's Denver just over there. And even in that small space, I feel like the people that are in that area are still quite different. And that's in the same country. And I also believe that you can have an adventure 20 minutes or 30 minutes up the road from where you live. Your kids will think it's fantastic if you get in the car with the tent and the sleeping mat and your camp stove and your marshmallows and, you know, something to cook that over the fire and you drive 20 minutes and you get out and you set up camp and you stay outside and... You cook marshmallows, you look at the stars, you collect little sticks or branches to make some outdoor art. You know, there are so many things that you can do literally in your backyard, mm. in your own local parks or recreation areas or campsites. You could go to a campsite where there's showers and laundry and everything, but yeah. for the kid, it's somewhere new and it's somewhere exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So you definitely don't have to travel across the world for the same experience. Yes. Thank you for,
1: for explaining that. That's really helpful. And, and yeah, hopefully this is going to, the rest of this interview is going to continue to show people to kind of get out and explore and, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, just be outdoors. So let's talk about running, how this came into things. Um, do you remember the first time you
0: kind of went for a run officially? Um, I guess, you know, I was a field hockey player, um, and that was my huge passion. And I just mm-hmm. did everything field hockey. Um, so we would go running for our warm ups or our um, training with the team. And so we would run around there and do some relay switchbacks and some dosey in the middle. And so that was running. And I think if you look at an average forward player in a in a hockey field or a soccer field, covers something like ten to fifteen kilometers per game, which is an hour. So you're running a lot, um, even though you're not thinking because you're stop, start, here, there, everywhere. So you're running quite a bit, and so I was doing that every day. And then I was involved in the school Harriers, we call it, which is athletics, um, but more like cross-country running or road running. Um, We were doing a bit of triathlon. So my whole time at school I was – running back and forth, back and forth, whether it was for hockey or for triathlon or for running races. I guess I only really got into running on my own when I got to university and started focusing a little bit more on training for triathlon. And so I started finding some trails cause it was a little bit more interesting than just doing laps around the track. And then it wasn't until 2004 that I actually did my first mountain race and that was just because our our running club had set up the course for the national championships, and my coach at the time just said, "Well, why not? You should just go and do it. So then you mark the course, um, yeah. and then there I qualified for the New Zealand team to go to the World Mountain Running Championships in Italy, which was like blow my mind and eyes wide open. Um, and that was when I really started a passion for. Oh, this is something that you do. This is an actual sport in itself where you just run on the trails on your own. And so that's where my passion for it started. And I guess just once you start with that, you want to know what's around the next corner and over the next Mm -hmm. mountain and in the next valley. And so my distances became longer and the passion for exploring the trails and valleys and mountains grew.
1: Yeah. Well, I would have to say it would be unsurprising for almost everyone if you qualified for a world championships and your first kind of real trail race. So, um, you know, that's not really surprising that that happened in that way. Cause I think, you know, that's kind of, that's the dream story, isn't it? Um, and, uh, it's interesting you mentioned about field hockey. I don't know how many of my listeners know this, but that's actually what I was doing as well. And that's always when people say to me, um, how I, became good at running, I said, Well, I was just running around the running around the field hockey court. Yeah. Um and um or pitch. I'm not sure what the word is. Yeah. Um and I was also, yeah, forward. So just going back and forth, running around uh, and um I always said that I was never actually any good at hockey. <laughs> I just you was just good fit. at chasing like outlasting people. Yeah on the it's running
0: and I think um I still would owe a lot of my strength to hockey. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, the strength that you get in your legs and your back and, um, with the agility through your ankles and knees, I think I will owe that to, you know, my 20 years of playing hockey. Mm -hmm. Really cool. Yeah.
1: And then, all right. So let's talk about that world championship. Um, you ended up going to the world mountain running championships in Italy, Mm Mm-hmm as you did, as you said, finish fourth at the 2004 New Zealand mountain running Mm -hmm. championships. So tell us about that trip. Like you, you said that it kind of, you know, blew your eyes open and made Mm -hmm. you realize that, you know, there was a world beyond uh, just kind of going out there and doing it for yourself. But was that kind of a conscious thing of like, oh, wow, you know, I got to get serious if I want to compete at this top level? Or was it kind of the other way that you thought, I don't want to let myself kind of um take the joy away from this special thing that I've really been enjoying like what what were you think thoughts around that?
0: Well, I think initially it was just like I was blown away. I just mm-hmm. had no idea that, like I said, that that was an actual sport, and um I got there and I realized that people were doing this professionally and um as a lifestyle, and racing for their country was a financial aspect for them where they were not working. That was their job. So for me at the time, I was just like, wow, this is incredible. You know, the course was out of this world steep. And we ran over the course the day, you know, the day weeks before when we were just getting used to it. And I just kept questioning, is this the right way? Of course, could that actually be the right way? And I'd see the runners and I was like, there's no way I can compete with them. Look how fast they are up this hill. They're Mm -hmm. running and it's so steep. And So I think for the entire race, I was just like, oh my gosh, look at that runner. They're so fast. Oh my gosh, look at all the people cheering. Oh my gosh, look at the mountains. It's so beautiful. So I really just had an incredible experience then. And I guess when I went away from it and could reflect on it and say, oh, but actually, you know, that's what people are doing and maybe I could do that. So the next year, um. I'd obviously met quite a few different people and they were like, Hey, you should come back and do this race. And Hey, you should travel with me afterwards to do that race. You know, the circuit there are amazing there. It's like, I've always said this about the people there. They're a meandering family Mm -hmm. and in Europe, there's races, you know, pretty much every day and everywhere through Europe. So the next year I just packed my, my pack with my tent and my, cooking stove and just a few little, um, racing things and headed out to the race again, um, where I had some friends. And then it was really just, I kept my door open of opportunity. And every time someone said, Hey, there's a race in Italy. Um, you just jump on the train and get off there and you can camp there and I'll see you there. And I was like, Oh, that sounds cool. So I would just jump on the train and get off where they said and find a great little campaign and explore mm-hmm. the mountains. And sure enough, the next weekend there there they would be and would do this race. And you know, I guess I was so immersed in it that I was getting more and more eager about, oh, this is actually fun. And if I trained really hard, I could actually get better and seeing the same people and learning so much from those people and I just feel like it was a very, I was in a very lucky position where I was supported so well from this great family that were in mountain running. And, um, I definitely didn't lose a love or passion for it at all. It was just growing and growing because it was just getting better and better.
1: Yeah. That is so cool to hear. And, and it, one thing that I keep coming back to in my head when you're talking is just you saying a minute ago about kind of like, going out camping and then race meeting them at the end of the week racing and then kind of finding somewhere else that seems so to someone cut who's come from like the marathoning end of uh-huh. things i i mean it's even now when i've kind of stepped away from elite running and just kind of floundering around or uh-huh. whatever i'm doing with yeah. my running that still seems so alien but like i hearing it i just love the freedom aspect and the uh-huh. the no pressure and the getting to be out just in the world kind of, yeah, as we keep saying, exploring it. Yeah. And one thing that you said there, which I had read about you and wanted to ask you about, was, you know, saying yes to opportunities. Now that seems so obvious. You right. know, why wouldn't we say yes to opportunities that come our way? But actually in reality, a lot of us don't. You know, we we either make excuses, that's too whatever. But it's scary yeah, to do it. So tell us about why that's important to mention about saying yes to opportunities and how people can take things that come up in their own lives, or I guess n- how you would know if this is an opportunity versus something that's like, you sh- you know, oh, I don't think I should do that. It's, it's very easy mm-hmm. to say, well, that's not really an opportunity. That's more work, more stress, right. more money gone, whatever, like yes. to, to give yourself the other side of it. So tell us about why that's important to say yes. And how to know when those opportunities do come up in your own life.
0: Yeah. And, you know, it's not easy to say yes to something like that. It's not easy to, you know, walk out, walk out of your house and say, okay, I'm going on holiday or I'm going traveling. Like, I was in a position where I didn't have a job and, um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do either. And I had worked as a teacher for six months to save up some money. Um, so I just took a short contract, saved some money and then traveled. And at the time I just, you know, I wasn't costing me much money cause I was just camping and getting on a train and traveling and I was on my own. So for me to be able to say yes was easier even though at the same time it was scary because I didn't know what would happen. Maybe it would be a, a fantastic outcome and maybe it wouldn't. I'd get somewhere and say, oh, yuck, this isn't great. But I would never have known unless I had just said yes and gone for it. And so I understand how easy it is to get stuck. You know, now at this point when I've got a kid and we've got a apartment and, um, you know, it's a little bit harder just to jump on a train and travel and go camping. I understand, but I think it's important to see those doors of opportunity and to actually really explore them and say, you know, even write down the pros and cons. If I step through this door, I don't know what's going to happen, but it could be this, 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 and this is good. And this, this, this is bad. Can I afford it? Is it something that my whole life can handle, like, can I take the kid or can I take my husband or, um, can I leave my house? But I think we, we really have to sit down and explore those and say, and give it time, you know, give time to, to, to search all those questions because it's so easy for us to say, oh, I'd love to do that, but no, it's too hard to think about. And all it takes is just a little bit of thinking and sometimes actually just doing it. Mm -hmm. And if you just do it, and it turns completely disastrous, that's okay too, because I'm sure you would have learned from it. And you can always go back to something else. You'll always find a way forward. And probably most of the time, those steps of opportunity, if you've thought it through and gone through it with all your heart and your passion, then it will probably be okay.
1: Yeah. And I also think that just adding to that uh, one more thing that if you keep coming back to it, like if you can't stop thinking about it, or it feels like things in your life just keep kind of signalling to that, it's probably a sign that you know your heart is 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 like crying out for mm-hmm. you to take that opportunity. Um, you and yes, maybe it doesn't feel like it's realistic, but can you find a way? Um, yeah, so, and
0: even yeah. just give it a little trial period. I mean, can you take a month to go? and explore that area that you want to go and explore. And then if it's great, then go and spend more time there. You know, it doesn't have to be like sell everything and move Mm -hmm. on out. You could go and just have a little taster of it. And then if you're like, yes, this is great. And if you really feel it works, then go with it. Mm
1: -hmm. Love it. Thank you so much. All right. So from there, you know, you were kind of racing, obviously improving, really starting to see some results. Um, you became one of the first trail runners to become professional. So tell us about how that came about. Um, cause you know, back then that would have been quite a, a big step to be, mm-hmm. you know, the first or one of the first people to really kind of, you know, make some, make some good money or, and, you know, living expenses, money mm-hmm. off uh trail running. So tell yeah. us about, yeah, how that, how that happened.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, it was a good thing and a bad thing. The sort of people that were there when I was there, when it was all starting, when um, we were just mountain running—people like Ricky Gates, Francois Dahan, Killian, mm-hmm. Ryan Sands—it was definitely for the passion. You know, mm-hmm. there was no money, there was no reason, there was no reason to do it other than we loved it. Mm-hmm. My very first sponsorship was with Innovate, a British company, and I got one pair of shoes. And I thought I was amazing. I was like, "Oh my gosh, I'm I'm sponsored! They gave me a pair of shoes. This is awesome." Do you consider that sponsored now? Yeah, I consider that yeah. being sponsored absolutely, okay. mm-hmm. because you know what? It, it improved my running. They mm-hmm. gave me a pair of shoes that, because I didn't have any money, because I wasn't really working. I wasn't going to go out and buy a new pair of shoes. I had a pair of like road running shoes that were getting me through, but I got this pair of shoes that had, that were mountain running specific and they had this excellent grip and excellent support. And they gave me the confidence to run hard up and down. And so from that one shoe, I became a better runner. I became more confident and, um, you know, from there, Innovate started some new shoes. They started with a jacket and then with the pack. And, um, for me, that was quite exciting to be part of that development because yeah, we needed a jacket and now we needed a bum bag to put our jacket in. And so the development of the product for me was very, very interesting. Mm-hmm. And, um, then from there, um, Solomon reached out to me after maybe four years after I was with Innovate with just a couple of pair of shoes and a jacket. Um, And they said, hey, we would really love you to go to the Everest Marathon and um, we can give you product and we'll pay for your travel there. And I was like, wow, this is fantastic. And so I spoke to Innovate and they were amazing. They said, hey, look, if that's a dream of yours, you should go with it because we definitely can't support you in the same way as that. So go with all your heart and we'll always be here. Um, and that's the way it was. And I felt that was really like honest and, um, I still have a little, you know, loyalty in my heart to innovate. You know, every time I see it, I get kind of like a, Ooh, you know, Mm -hmm. they were my first, my first trail love. And so then I started with Solomon. It was actually Solomon UK. I went to the Everest marathon and raced, um, out there and spent eight weeks in Nepal, just, absolutely in love with the culture, with the mountains, um, and found, you know, a new gratification for the people and, you know, simplicity and the pure joy of just running, um, without anything, you just didn't need anything. Mm. And then it was maybe a year or two later Then Solomon. It actually all started when, um, well then with innovating that Solomon UK, I was also doing adventure racing. Um, and that was anywhere between like the six hour and 24 hour races. And I was racing with a um, team of women with Heather Dawn and Cheryl Frost as well. And, um, it was just so exciting because we were really developing an, an adventure and biking and canyoning and mountaineering. And, um, it was sponsored a lot by General Motors and um, big companies, and then all of a sudden that money came out of adventure racing, and I guess that's the beauty of trail running, that it's simple. All you need is to give your runners a pair of shoes. You now don't need to give them a bike and a kayak and rock climbing gear. And so exactly at that point, um, all of a sudden trail running had this huge boom, and so all these companies had extra money to give to trail runners. And so money started coming in and it was very little by very little. It wasn't like you could actually live on it, but all of a sudden we were these little runners just, you know, Mm. traveling around the world, getting some money. And that was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. So I continued to do sort of, and then six months traveling. Um, and that was a little bit in the UK. I taught and then back in New Zealand and, um, it was, it was fantastic. It was kind of living the dream. We were still with this meandering family. We were traveling around. Um, and then this is where it all started going a little bit downhill as all of a sudden us as runners who actually don't really love, you know, standing up and talking to lots of people because that's why we go running so that we can be mm-hmm. on our own. We were now like having to do group runs and having to do press conferences and having to travel here and then go there and then do this and then do that. And then Facebook likes and Instagram likes and you like know they were counting,
1: like they wanted you to have a certain amount or like yeah, you exactly. internally
0: felt pressure to do that. Both. Yeah. Okay. So all of a sudden I was like, Oh, I'm this runner and I need people to like me because I'm a runner. And it wasn't just me that was starting to feel the effects. You know, it was hard. Like it wasn't something that I had signed up to do really. It was just how, um, trail running was moving. And, you know, I'm absolutely hundred percent into doing press conferences and doing whatever I can to motivate, um, and inspire other runners to take up the sport because I love it. But there's a balance, you know, you need that balance of like I have to go running because I love it on my own out in the mountains. I don't need to spend this whole time in airports and press conferences not running on my own ever. And that's where it fell apart for me. I think that was 2010 or 11. And I just sort of got injured, but we were traveling so much and so many press conferences and I just couldn't recover and sort of get to that space where I loved just being on my own and running all of a sudden became a chore. I didn't want to do it. I had become obsessed with like Facebook likes that if I was injured and not running, then who was I? I was no one because no one would like me because I wasn't running. Yeah. And it just spiraled down and down and down and down until I just said, that's it. I don't want to run again. My shoes are going out. Um, I went back to New Zealand and just pushed stop.
1: Thank you to Athletic Greens for sponsoring this episode of The Running a Podcast. By now, you know I am a big fan of Athletic Greens. The Ultimate Daily is the all-in-one supplement with 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients that work together to help the body absorb and synthesize these nutrients in a highly bioavailable form. It was originally developed for athletes and high performers, just one scoop Uh, of Ultimate Daily delivers adaptogens, antioxidants, prebiotics, probiotics, and a superfood complex that helps support the body's nutritional needs. And I have found it just to be a wonderful addition to my life. I wake up first thing in the morning, I do, I stumble into the kitchen, I pour water into my shaker, um, mix the scoop of Athletic Greens in there and drink it down while I write in my journal. Life-changing, gets me off on the right foot. I know I've got you know, uh, my safety net of nutrition going in every day, even if my diet hasn't been the best, particularly during pregnancy. Um, But it has been just a great thing. Uh, It's taken by elite, it's taken by professionals, health conscious go-getters. It makes it so easy for you to get this comprehensive nutrition without the need for multiple pills, powders or complex routines. It really is the most complete supplement for a better you. Uh, It has the antioxidant equivalent of 12 servings of fruits and vegetable in every scoop. And I I know that I'm getting these hard to find ingredients and a high level of antioxidants that can boost my immunity. Uh, Bailey and Steve both recently got the flu. And I honestly think a big part of how I somehow managed to not get it was because of Athletic Greens. I genuinely believe that. Now, my friends, you can get a 20 serving travel pack for free. That's worth $79 by going to athleticgreens.com forward slash Tina. That's athleticgreens.com forward slash Tina and you will be able to get that 20 serving $79 value pack for free. And with these big races we have coming up, you do not want to be leaving this to chance. It feels horrible if you wake up the week of the race with sickness. Get this in your system so that it's ready. It's helping protect you. So when race day comes, you are ready to go. I believe in it so much and I hope you do too.
0: So there's a balance, you know, you need that balance of like, I have to go running because I love it on my own out in the mountains. I don't need to spend this whole time in airports and press conferences, not running on my own ever. And that's where it fell apart for me. I think that was 2010 or 11. And I just sort of got injured, but we were traveling so much and so many press conferences, and I just couldn't recover and sort of get to that space where I loved just being on my own and running all of a sudden became a chore, I didn't want to do it. I had become obsessed with like Facebook likes that if I was injured and not running, then who was I? I was no one because no one would like me because I wasn't running. Yeah. And it just spiraled down and down and down and down until I just said, that's it. I don't want to run again. My shoes are going out. Um I went back to New Zealand and just pushed stop.
1: Yeah. And I think, and I want to definitely go into, you know, that moment of kind of reaching that breaking point. But before I get to that, you know, as this was kind of happening, you did say there was a lot of pressure or not a lot of pressure, but expectations from kind of these brands who Mm -hmm. now were giving you real, real money, um, like that you could kind of, um, you know, do things with, but obviously the, the other side of that is that they, they want something in return and that's Uh traveling, like you said, press conferences, Uh running with other people. Those are the external things, but what internally did you notice? You said about Facebook likes, and I'm assuming that's kind of, you know, if you didn't get a certain amount, then it felt like, um, you know, that, that didn't do very well. And, and, and I personally know this as well from kind of my position in the running world. It, it, it is hard not to look at those numbers and say, oh, I must have missed the mark there. Like I thought mm-hmm. that was a good message and it's not. And yeah. why why don't people like that? Like mm-hmm. um but what what else did you notice within yourself? Did you notice that, you know, trail runners, you have this advantage of having this this beautiful scenery that you're running in these amazing places. Like did you find yourself thinking about like, oh I better get a photo from that spot because it's beautiful rather mm-hmm. than actually focusing on the run? Or did yeah. you Find yourself constantly thinking about what you were going to say on social media? Did you find yourself like what things did you notice internally that weren't great for your mental health that were kind mm-hmm. of adding to this pressure?
0: Yeah, well, I think, um, like you sort of said, it all you know, the if people didn't like you on Facebook, then why didn't they like you? It's the same as if you're an artist or a musician and you create mm-hmm. a piece. And someone's like, you know, critiques it and they're like, Oh yeah, but I wouldn't have put that color there. Or, Oh, I didn't like that ending of the song or, you know, why would you use that instrument? That wasn't, I mean, yuck, I hate that song. Um, it's something that you've created. It's, it's you, it's your brand, it's your personality, it's your expression, it's your creativity. So when someone doesn't like it, it kind of hurts. Um, and you think, well, you know, what's wrong with me? And So because of that, you start pushing, putting pressure on yourself, like, okay, I have to get out there and take more photos, more beautiful photos. I'm going to stop in the middle of my run and, you know, run back and forth and back and forth until I get this photo and you're not present with what you're doing, you know, you're constantly thinking of words or pictures for other people, um, you know, with all the Stravas and Moves Count and all of those programs, you know, you're connected through your watch. Everyone can see where you're going as well. Mm-hmm. So you're never alone. You're never because you always have the phone for someone else to see where you've just been. You have your watch so they can actually see exactly where you went and how fast you got there. Um, if you stop for a pee, they can even see that. So, all of a sudden, you're like completely watched. And physically, also, as my body was getting more fatigued, and I was just thinking, I would love just to have a break here. I would love to not go for a run right now. I would love to get a massage. I'd love to get this injury sorted before it gets worse. I couldn't because Mm -hmm. I needed those constant likes. I needed to get those photos. I needed to do that next race or that next press conference. And so, I guess that pressure and that, you know, I lost my sense of self-worth because now I was just a runner. Um, I wasn't me. I wasn't the person that, you know, I know, knew that I was, I wasn't a person that was enough. I wasn't a person that was happy. I was just this runner. And as I, you know, became injured and felt like I was getting less likes because I wasn't racing every weekend I also lost more and more self-confidence um, and self-worth.
1: Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's such an important point to measure because, you know, people listening may not have, you know, a hundred thousand followers like, like you do on um, Instagram, but they might see a version of that or notice that, yeah, when they get a little injury, and we've talked about this a lot in the past, um, for my listeners, go and listen to the one episode with Cindy Kuzma and Carrie Cheadle Jackson, where we talked about the emotional side of injuries, but you might see it on your own like level of seeing how you just feel lost. You feel like, yeah, you have nothing to offer the world, that that's all people see of you. Yeah. Um, and because that's all they see of you, I don't know if you experience this, but when you, when you do see other people, even those who knew you and loved you before you ran or, uh, you know, despite it that you run, even they feel like that's all you want to talk about. So then when they come up to you, the first thing they'll say to you is, "How's your running going mm-hmm. and it's you you know I remember times being like, "Please don't ask me about running, please don't <laughs> ask me about running and then yeah. that's the first thing they say, yeah, um, but yeah, and it's so I think what you're saying there definitely resonates with a lot of people and and for you, you kind of reached a breaking point where you did you know delete it all away, take social media out of your life until you kind of okay. felt like you got yourself back but what happened with the sponsors there? Because, you know, for them, they're like that they need that. And it's um, Mm -hmm. kind of, you know, what you've signed up for. So what did you do? What did you do with that part?
0: Right. Well, I tried to quit. Um, Mm -hmm. I said, that's it. I quit. And um, my sponsors were fantastic and supported Mm -hmm. me through it and said, take a break, turn everything off, you know, go and find yourself again, throw away those shoes, like just take a break, find you, find what you're passionate about, because they understood that, you know, they had pushed us and they also understood that I loved running. I had just lost touch and I'd lost touch of who I was. So I needed to go and find who I was again. And so it was a lot of soul searching. Um, I went back to New Zealand. I didn't run. I didn't do yoga. I didn't do anything. I went to my physiotherapist and she just said to me, you just need to breathe. You just need to learn how to breathe again. You need to take a big belly breath and just let everything go and start from scratch. And so she said, I don't want to see you for a month. Go away, breathe. So I did that. And, um, I also read a book by Dr. Libby, um, called the rushing women's syndrome. Um, mm. I highly recommend it to not just women, but to men as well.
1: Oh, I will. Yeah, definitely read that down
0: it is fantastic. And I read the book over and over again and I wrote notes in the book and sometimes Mm -hmm. I would read parts of it and it would make me cry because I was like, (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's me. And that's what I've lost. And that's this and that's that. And, um, basically the book said, you know, you need to find a mantra or not basically the book says the book says a lot, but what I took from the book was that I Mm -hmm. needed a mantra that I could say to myself every day to give myself self-worth again. I realized that I was not just a runner. I was a good person. I was enough. And I, as a person, I happened to run. And Mm -hmm. so if I couldn't run, it didn't matter because I had so many other things in my life. And that took me a really long time to be able to say, you know, a mantra that I repeated over and over again in my head and it would bring me to tears. I could barely say it out loud because I didn't even believe it. Can you share what, what yours was? Um, I can't remember exactly, but I, the main part of it was that I am enough. And for me to say I am enough now is okay. But then it would pull me into like hysterical Mm. tears. Um, Mm. and I couldn't get that sentence out. Um, Mm. and it, you know, I'm not, saying that I am enough, it doesn't mean that you, you don't strive for something else or you don't try to reach your potential, but it means you as a person are enough and everything else you do is extra. And, yes. and that's, you know, the basic part of where you need to be. And, um, you know, I think a part of my mantra was that I was loved and that I love and that I'm safe and I'm grateful and compassionate. And, um, I think all of those things, when you say it enough, you ooze that and, um, you reflect it. And so when I came back to running, all of a sudden I was like, Oh, I actually want to go for a run again because I actually like running. And as Mm -hmm. a person, as enough of a person, I can go for a run and it's okay. And I came back into racing with an expectation of no expectation, and for me, I ha- I said, well, it do- I don't care what other people think. Like if I come one hundredth or first, I don't care. And if they think that, you know, I'm running slow, I don't care. They can think mm-hmm. whatever they want to think. And I took the pressure off Facebook. I took the pressure off Instagram. I shared what was genuine for me, what was honest for me. Um, I shared when I wanted. And, um, you know, found that I raced better because I race from my heart and I race yeah. for my reasons and from my passion. I didn't race for my sponsor. I didn't race for the Facebook likes. I didn't race for anybody else. I raced for me because I wanted to. Um, and that has made a huge difference. And, um, touch wood since then, you know, I've had the occasional little niggle or injury because I've twisted an ankle or, you know, slipped on ice, but I feel like now because I have those, well, it's just running and it's, you know, I can leave it. I don't need to Mm. run today because I've got an injury. So I just won't run this week. It's fine. It's just running. I can cross train or, Hey, I'll have a holiday. That sounds nice too. And I think that has been fantastic for me and I often meet runners who I have to be like, just leave your watch at home, turn (laughs) off the data and just go and run because you love it and it's your passion and just explore for a moment. Or how about this? Take a week off. It doesn't matter. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. just running. And, you know, obviously with training programs and everything, it's hard to do that sometimes because you've been held accountable to that program but in the larger scheme, if you just need a rest, that is going to be the best training you can do to give your brain and body a break.
1: Yes. So, so, so good. Um, and I definitely agree with everything you're saying there. And I think my audience know that I'm kind of very much in the same frame as mind as you. And, um, I, my husband and daughter were sick last week and, uh, Uh, with the flu and I uh, had a cough and a cold and I just straight was like you know what I'm taking a week off and I did Mm -hmm. and the old me would have thought would have been panicking or just you know running through all these scenarios of what I was losing but it it felt so freeing to just be able to just say well I didn't straight off say I'm going to take a week off but it was each day it was like am I ready yet no I don't think so Mm -hmm. okay wait till the next day so for someone who is kind of you know, that their mind is like exploding, like, how can that be the case? Like I, you know, I'm going to lose, like I just said, I'm going to lose fitness. Mm -hmm. I'm going to lose too much. I, Mm -hmm. um, if I'm not posting on here, I'm worried I won't get back into it. I won't be able to start again. I'm going to gain all this weight. Any way you would say about starting if someone is really, um, feeling that pressure, feeling kind of almost a burnout, but just can't quite pull the plug to actually like take time off.
0: Yeah, I think, um, it's, about been realistic. Like, you know, if you try to train through a week of having the flu, the next four weeks are going to be horrible. Mm-hmm. You're going to be fatigued. You're going to be flat. You're going to be tired. So if you could just think like, if I just give my body a rest for three or four or five days, my next five days are going to be great. Um, and, Most of the time, you know, we're looking at a bigger picture. We've got a training program for a race that's three months ahead. If your Achilles is burnt out or if you've got a cold that just won't go away and you keep training through that, it's not going to get better. So all of a sudden you're going to be hobbling into the week before the race, like, oh, my gosh, I'm not sure if this cough is ever going to go away or if this Achilles thing that's now chronic because you haven't just let it heal. Mm Mm-hmm you go into the race and, and you've still got it. Whereas if you'd taken that one week break four months ago, you could be three minutes quicker. You could be feeling so much stronger. Your recovery could be so much quicker, allowing you to do another race, you know, a month later.
1: I'm just going to um, add one yeah. devil's advocate thing yeah. here though. Cause I know old me would have said, okay. Yeah, but what if I take that week off and I didn't need to? Like, what if I could have kept going and this was something that didn't actually need time off or didn't need rest and I could have essentially got away with it? Then I've just wasted a week.
0: Right. My point is that you never waste a week having a break. Yeah. If you're training well and sensibly with consistency and prioritizing you know, your strength and your endurance and your proper progress in your training, then having one week where you rest or just do yoga for a week or, you know, mix it up with a little bit of spin bike or um, a nice swim or just a walk around the streets in the sunshine, you're not going to lose a week. Like, it's just a week. It's Mm -hmm. such a small thing in a massive program. You know, it's, it's not, you're not going to lose fitness. You're not going to lose all the shape. If you sit there and eat hamburgers a week, um, and ice cream out of the tub, like every single day, every single meal, you're probably going to put on weight, but don't do that. You know, <laughs> give yourself a healthy week of focusing on breathing techniques, focusing on core strengths, focusing on eating salads once a day, eating smoothies, you know, have that week as like. I'm going to do a detox, you know, a a really healthy week of rest. And I don't think anyone or any coach would really say that that was not a good idea.
1: Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much. And that gives definitely people things to think about. Now, Mm -hmm. speaking of kind of resting, taking a step back, let's fast forward in your journey to um, I'm assuming it was late 2018 when you found out you were pregnant So tell us, you know, going from someone who had been one of the, who was one of the best ultra runners in the world, had been very successful, kind of very in control of your body, understand your body, um, very well. How did you handle pregnancy as a whole with kind of this changing body? You know, a lot of it, you don't have control over. You have no idea how it's going to handle things from one day to the next. How did that go for you?
0: Yeah. So we... We found out we were pregnant in July 2018. July, okay. I had an incredible pregnancy, really. I only had a little bit of fatigue and morning sickness in those first, um, what was that, like week eight to 12 it was fatigue. Like I'd never met before. I, no, I was, crazy, yeah. I was blown away at how it was only eight 30 in the morning and I actually needed to go to bed <laughs> and I would be out for an hour. It was insane fatigue. And that's talking through all of the ultra races I've done, but I, I had a very comfortable and, um, inspired pregnancy. I was amazed at just how the body handled it and changed and grew I was, I couldn't understand where, how it grew, like where, how does that work? You know, and you can see these amazing diagrams of how all the organs and your lungs get shoved up into your chest and you grow this human baby in your stomach. It just blew my mind that, you know, we were growing this little baby and, um, I could feel her kicking from about week 16. Um, so I knew we had a little firecracker in there. and actually we still, I still had a race plan. So the first How long race,
1: of a race are we talking about here?
0: Well, I was doing the VK series. So, um, the vertical kilometer series out in Europe. And, um, so I, the first one was actually in Norway and I was staying with Emily Forsberg and Killian. And, um, it was quite a fantastic moment because I had got to her house and, um, said, well, you know, I hadn't really told anyone cause I was only, I think eight weeks pregnant at that time. And, um, said to her, Emily, I've got a surprise. I'm pregnant. And she looked at me kind of shocked and she said, Oh my gosh, me too. <laughs> and so that was the most amazing thing, you know, for fellow runners and really great friends to go through that. Um, we were at the same, you know, the same week, we had the same That's due date. So cool. yeah. um, and so we just spent the next two weeks walking amongst the mountains in Norway and sleeping up in the moors and picking berries and having this mm-hmm. really nice time of fatigue together. Um, but I also had these races planned that I'd committed to, these vertical kilometer races. So um, I'd spoken to my doctor in New Zealand and just said, you know, is this okay? And she said, yes, it's okay. Like, just be aware you're – you know, you know, your body, um, listen to it. Don't get your heart rate up like too, too high. Um, and so I carried on and do, did the races anyway. Um, there was no chance of getting my heart rate up too high anyway, because I was so tired and I was feeling so sick on the start lines anyway, that I was like, (laughs) you know, anyway, and I wasn't telling people that I was pregnant. So I sort of had to make up that, Oh, maybe it was a bit of food poisoning, but, um, it was still fun to know that I'd carried Skylar through those first couple of races um, with me um, so she could experience that too. Um, mm-hmm. And then we had a couple of our trail run adventure trips left for the year, which I was still really keen to go on. So our first one was Ecuador and then we went from Ecuador to Bhutan. And... Did
1: any part of you worry about the food there though?
0: Um, no. No? I guess um, – my diet is pretty bland. I'm not very okay. adventurous with food. Oh, so okay. I
1: feel like if I went to those places I'd wanna eat all the like really, really local things and
0: Yeah. I'm not
1: sure
0: I <laughs> would I was, be good I was careful, you know. Yeah. But um, like I say, I'm not very adventurous, so it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't a big deal. Um okay but you know, I was seven months and, um, definitely showing. And I was wearing a, um, a running belt, the ultimate direction, running belt around, well, it was the slightly bigger one from medium to large. Um, (laughs) and that was amazing just holding the baby in. So she didn't jiggle around too much. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I had an amazing, amazing experience and I feel so grateful that I was able to take her to those places as well before she was born. And then, I got back to New Zealand after Bhutan um, because I wanted to be there to give birth and, you know, couldn't travel after I guess some airlines are like seven and a half to eight months anyway. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And about that same time, I guess it was about seven and a half to eight months that um, my feet just turned out like duck feet and my hips really opened up and running all of a sudden just felt very inefficient and awkward and there was no need for me to run anymore, you know, I wasn't aiming to run a marathon or do anything other than just get this baby out safely. So at that point I, um, it was summer in New Zealand. So I spent the time stand up paddleboarding and kayaking and just walking in the mountains, um, with poles to really help support me through that. So, um, the pregnancy was fantastic.
1: That's so good. And, you know, there was a film made about you for uh, on this period um, mm-hmm. of pregnancy and transition to motherhood, Frosty, yeah, which, um, you know, has done very well. It's been uh, talked about a lot within the running community. I will put links in the show notes. Um, and then, you know, back to what we were talking about earlier, did any part of you feel pressure with that, knowing that you were being filmed and that um, any part of you had to make pregnancy kind of I guess because it's changing now, um, Mm -hmm. but in the past pregnancy, it always kind of been like this death sentence and like, oh, you know, women have got to Mm -hmm. stay, you know, rest and and be at home. Did any part of you feel pressure kind of related to what you talked about before with the social media and kind of sponsors, but the same kind of vein
0: or not? So three years ago now, I switched from Salomon to Merrill. And part of that was just, um, you know, I was wanting a new direction. Um, it was different to what Solomon had in mind. You know, they were still very competitive at that time. I was moving into more adventure and looking at doing fastest on time sort of attempts. I wanted a family. I wanted to change from racing to doing, you know, a hike through the mountains. Um, and thinking of the future, I wanted to do those hikes with my baby. So when I spoke to Meryl about that, about, you know, wanting to start a family, they said, Oh, absolutely. That's awesome. We'd love to share that, that story. Um, so I have massive respect for them and being part of that support where, you know, they didn't even blink at that. They were excited that, um, they could now share the story of me as a runner, as a racer, and also as a mother, um so I feel very honored to be part of Merrill that have supported me through that without without a question and It's been fantastic to be on social media and learn from so many other mums and dads that have had kids because I have no idea about this um you know, I've got experience of running, but I have absolutely no experience of having a baby. I don't know what to do so to, you know, it's like that village thing, you know, it takes a village to raise a yeah. baby and it a hundred percent does not only just to learn about the phases that the baby's going through, but to learn about me as a mother. Um, and I was sent this beautiful quote, which I just pretty much say to say to myself every day that when a baby is born a new mother, a new person is born. And mm. that's a hundred percent how it is. You know, I have, I'm learning everything. I, My body changed, my mind changed, my hormones changed, my love and passion for being in the outdoors changed because now everything was slower. It was bigger. It was smaller. It was closer. Like the noises, you know, I heard things differently because I wanted to show Skylar, Oh, that noise is a squirrel. Oh, that flower is a daisy. Oh, that's mud. Oh, that's a stone. So my relationship to everything changed. I'm a completely new person and it's been absolutely wonderful to see that community also, um, on social media to be like, yeah, I hear you mama. This is really hard. Like you're doing amazing. And if that amazing meant that you had a shower today, good on you.
1: Mm -hmm. You did a really powerful post to stay at home mums, which I really, Mm -hmm. I thought that was really nice that you did that. Um, because I think it's, Definitely a group that is often kind of ignored or or given very much the look down upon by everyone else. So, you know, I I love that you've been doing stuff like that and and really reaching out to people.
0: And I I massively respect mums that get back to training, that go to work. I have, you know, huge respect. But I also have huge respect for mums that stay at home because it's intense and (laughs) it's hard. Um, You don't get a break. And, you know, that's everyone's choice. You know, they choose, they want to go back to work or they want to get their fitness back or they, they want to stay at home with their baby. And when I say stay at home, it's never really stay at home because you've got to do, you know, you'll go crazy if you just stay at home because your baby's like ripped the house apart. Mm -hmm. Um, But the people that decide not to get back. And for me, that's something that I'm continuously working through is that getting back is not a thing. You know, when people are like, Oh, you'll get your body back. Oh, you'll get your fitness back. No, I won't. That's gone. For me, my body has changed for me. My drive, my passion has changed. That was, that was me. And now this is me and I'm a new mum. I'm a new person and, and I'm okay with that, but it's taken me a while to really accept that. And take those steps forward every day that are tiny. You know, when I go for a run now, I'm like, oh my gosh, I went for a run. woohoo! And it's a win. And I'm like, why did I get so excited about that? I'm a runner and I've just gone for a run. That should be normal, but it's not. Um, it's my tiny steps forward. And there is a lot of mums out there that I know are in the same boat. And Yeah, sometimes I feel like, well, why can't I do that? And why am I not achieving that? And why am I not racing? And why have I not got my drive back to compete at world level again? And you know what? Because I'm just being a mum right now and that's also okay too. It's very hard to always say to yourself that's okay to just let all of that go and accept where you are now. Um, And it's, you know, it's a constant for me every day. I have to be like, it's okay. I'm not going outside today or it's okay. I'm walking really slow around the yard today because she's learning to walk, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I think we have to just give ourselves like a little bit of grace and, um, it's not long, you know, Skylar is almost a year and it's mind blowing for me that, oh my gosh, she's almost a year old and, every day I watch her do something new and I'm so grateful and privileged to be able to be home and watch that.
1: Yeah. Uh, Thank you so much. I could not agree more with everything you said there. And one thing I just want to go just a tiny bit deeper with, you mentioned there about not getting your drive back. Now I've talked a lot about this, about how um, I am, you know, obviously pregnant with the second one. So excluding this time period, but for most women who are runners, um, who are, who competition is a focus prior to having children. It is kind of assumed that you fit, you, you have the baby, maybe you rush back, maybe you take your time and, uh, you, you quote unquote, take a long time of a year or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's definitely, it feels like almost everyone is immediately got their drive back. And they say, you know, you hear people saying, um, oh, I can push myself so much harder because uh, I'm a mother now and I think of my child. But I've always said, like, for me, I really struggled with that drive. I didn't have it back. I still don't have it back. Uh And when I think of my daughter, it goes the other way because I'm like, why am I bothering when Uh she's what matters? And Uh it's just running. It's Uh not, you know, so for, for anyone who's not feeling like they've got their drive back, cause I know I'm not alone in this and they feel like everyone else in the running world who's had a kid is mm-hmm. just like on their goals and they're digging yeah. deep and they're fighting for it. Like, what would you like to say to that person?
0: Oh, well, I think, um, a lot of it could be where you are in your running career. Um, mm-hmm. for me, I've had an extremely long and fulfilling and content. I'm very content with my running career so I was also in a place with my running where it didn't actually matter if or it not that it didn't matter, but yes, it's time that I can just let that go and be happy with what I did and be proud of what I achieved and give my focus and love and attention to something else because that's also fun. Um, and what, how can you put your drive into a different project like raising a child or Maybe it's something completely new maybe you want to start being an artist. Maybe you're had your time with your running and it's time to say, okay, that's cool. I can put that on the shelf and I'll go out jogging because I love it or go and do a local race because it's there. But maybe I don't need that competitive training approach. Maybe it's just my passion and maybe I put my drive and focus into something else in terms of why maybe your drive isn't there, I don't I don't know if it's a change in hormone or if it's um, that you're really fatigued and you actually can't be bothered, and that's okay too because yeah. you've got a really 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 hard full time job and then another full time job on top of that is you know looking after yourself and I think you know if your drive is not there because you're just tired and you just can't be bothered, then just don't be bothered. Just don't do it for, give yourself a year, give yourself five years. Who cares? You can get back to it later. You know, it's not like there are not 60, 70 year old women out there Mm -hmm. crushing Mm -hmm. races. So it doesn't matter if you lose your drive, you lose your drive. You'll find something else.
1: Yeah. Thank you. That's such good advice there. Really helpful. All right. And just to wrap up here, um, you know, you have a daughter, I have a daughter. Um, there's a lot of women out there who have, uh, daughters or nieces or just a child in their life. Um, I do want to do this with little boys as well, but what would you like to remind people listening about being about the, the effect they have on the young girls in their life and, and what it means to be a role model to these, mm-hmm. these people who are going to become next, uh, tomorrow's, you know, um, right. adults of the world.
0: Well, and I think this um, is very similar to the Sisu girls concept that we have. Um, Sisu means... Yeah, explain that to everyone. Yeah, Sisu is a Finnish word and it's um, basically your determination and drive and passion in the face of adversity. So when things get tough, you're going to just keep on going with tenacity to get that thing done. You'll just try and try and try again until you achieve it or until the point when you say, okay, I'm going to try something else. And to create those Sisu girls or, you know, people, we need role models. We need empowered people to be those role models. And each and every single one of us is a role model um, without us even knowing, you know, the young people, the young boys, the young girls, They copy us. So if we're doing something great, they're going to do something great. If we're doing something horrible, they are too. So it's up to us to encourage the young people in our worlds to be brave, to be determined, to try and try and try again because it's too easy to not try. Um, We don't have to be a professional athlete. We don't have to be a famous artist. We can just be exactly who we are and help even if it's just one person, one little kid. Do you see them falling off their bike and go over to them and help them get back on that bike and say, you can do this. Just give it another go. Or, you know, with their writing, do they make a mistake and screw it up and cry? Just do it again, you know. There's so many ways that we as This society, this community can be role models and need to be role models to keep, you know, compassion and kindness and growth and potential and energy in our next generation because it's very easy for us to say, you know what, yeah, don't worry about going out on your bike again today. Don't worry about going out in the outdoors and getting inspired by nature and getting energy from the outdoors. Just be on your device or watch TV. That's It's too easy. We don't want a world of young people like that. We want a world of exactly. young people that care about our environment, that care about their own health, that care about their next generation. So it starts with us and it starts with us being empowered to have that confidence to go to a young person and say, hey, I'll help. Let's just keep doing this until you get it right.
1: Yes. Love that. Thank you so much. And I think that's really important point to, to end on there. And, um, you know, the, the little girls and the little boys of, of tomorrow, um, will learn things from us that we, we realize things that we don't realize, but the more aware aware that we can be of the, you you know, what we're portraying them to be, what we are encouraging them to do. Like you said, Mm -hmm. getting back up when they fall down, um, is, is one of the biggest things we can do. And I know it's hard because you wanna fix things. You wanna make things as easy as possible for them, but in a yes. lot of ways we need to kind of add that. Mm-hmm. Well, not add it, but prevent from doing that because mm-hmm. it's gonna um only, you know, make it harder for them in the long run. And I guess
0: I I like to say um falling is not failing. Yes. Love I that. think that's Great a point. really good way to think about it. Yeah,
1: for sure. All right, Anna, um where can people find more about you? Where can they follow you? Um, if they want to get to know you more,
0: um, social media, <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, Facebook Anna frosty, Instagram Anna frosty, um, my website that I'm not very good at cause I'm hopeless at computer stuff, but it's, um, frostiesfootsteps.com. Um, we also have our trail run adventures trips. If anyone wants to, come away on a, on a travel trip, you know, you want to Mm. go adventuring. So there's trail run adventures and then Sisu girls, if you want to follow that, uh, be inspired by other amazing role models, um, of ways to just share their passion too.
1: Okay. Thank you. I will put links to all of those in the show notes for the listeners. Thank you so much for your time and for for sharing your wisdom and being real with us. I really appreciate you.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much.
1: My friends, if you have a minute and you could leave a review on your favorite podcast player, Apple Podcasts, EA, iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, Pocket Class, Spotify, or whatever else podcast player you use to listen to this podcast. Or if you would subscribe to this podcast, you will help me get out in front of new runners to make our tribe even bigger and even better. It might not seem like you as one person can make a difference, but really it helps a lot. And it shows me you appreciate the hard work I put in for those. Thank you so much. I really thought that was a a very interesting and different kind of direction to what I expected it to go. Really brings home that message of that we need to find the love and the appreciation for the sport that we have for our own selves, not for Strava, not for social media, not for likes, not for people giving us a pat on the back, but for our own selves. I really thought that was powerful. And I just love the way, the approach that Anna has towards her life. So I really hope you enjoyed that one. Um, You can find links to everything we talked about today in the show notes at tinamuir.com forward slash episode 182. And be sure to go check out the video of Anna, the the documentary that was made about her. It did win some awards and uh, it really is just a inspiring thing. Even if you don't want to uh, hear any more about her story for the scenery alone, it's just like outstanding. It was really, really interesting and definitely worth a watch. If you did enjoy this episode, be sure to go subscribe. And if you wouldn't mind leaving a rating and review on iTunes, I would be ever grateful. And my friends, I hope you have a great week. I'll see you next week.
0: Thanks for listening to the Running For Real podcast. Be sure to check out tinamure.com for show notes and even more helpful running information.